Catskill. Listen local. Good evening and welcome to Radio Catskill. The local edition, live from our studios right here in Liberty, New York. Welcome to the local edition. I'm your host, Jason Dole. we got our weekly news roundup with the River Reporter. We want to get right into that. So we're not going to waste any time. We're going to welcome River Reporter's Ruby Rayner on air. Welcome back to the show, Ruby. Hey, Jason. Thanks for having me. So um, starting off tonight, I you're bringing me news that I had not heard yet. I guess uh, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania has actually passed a budget. We just had Spotlight PA on in the past week talking about this, the, that they took a long time to pass it and the clock was kind of ticking on this. Is So is that the case? Is this the full budget or there's still some things that remain to be seen? There's always some things that remain to be seen. But yes, Pennsylvania lawmakers closed out the year by ending a five-and-a-half-month-long impasse over budgetary issues. And the divided legislature sent a spate of bills to Governor Josh Shapiro's desk, who commented on the importance and, and signed the mix of Democratic and Republican priorities, finally, into law. Okay. And anything notable in what passed? Definitely. Um, one thing, just interestingly, is that Pennsylvania is quite unique in that they're the um, only state in the country with a divided legislature with one chamber led by Democrats and another chamber led by Republicans. So Governor Josh Shapiro was very, um, you know, very eager to point out that this was a bit of an explanation for the challenges um, that were faced along the way of coming to a kind of consensus. Um, But one good thing in the bill is that rural counties get a boost. So for the first time in seven years, uh, Harrisburg approved a rate increase that will send hundreds of thousands of dollars in addition to funding to rural communities. There are more than three million acres of state-owned park, forest, and game lands throughout the Commonwealth. And since these areas are tax-exempt, the state government sends money to local governments and school districts within these state-owned boundaries. So that's one that's one kind of increase that was relevant to uh, Wayne and, and, and Pike County areas. And in addition to that, there's funding for community colleges and public libraries who are anxiously awaiting the budget. And I think are feeling a bit of relief that they got through with that, that extra funding. Yeah, that's something that, that we heard about uh, last week in covering this story that I guess the, part of the ways that they had almost a six-month delay to make that even possible is they, they agreed on some things, but there was other things that they had not reached consensus on, and that left uh, you know things like the schools and libraries in the lurch. Yeah, and I think it was really stressful because they that money is obviously necessary for the library and the community colleges to continue to function and provide the resources that they do to the community. And the year's ending. People are trying to plan uh, for the next year. And uh, if any of these organizations are like regular nonprofits are doing fundraising, you got your end of year fundraising. It's really hard to like plan ahead if you don't even know where the rest of the funding for this year is. Um, but I just want to, I just bring it up because I, I think it's funny uh, to a certain extent, but also a little bit telling that it wasn't the end of the year that was the deadline for these folks, uh, these legislators in Harrisburg. It was not uh, 
some other uh, guideline or ticking clock that they have legislatively or something in their constitution. It was, in fact, that they had to fix their ceiling. And the repairs are scheduled to start soon, and that's going to make it so they can't do anything for a few months. And that's that's what got them to finally make this happen. Did you know that part of it? No, I didn't. Yeah, yeah, leaking ceiling. They got to make repairs to the ceiling because of the leaking roof. So there you go. And our Spotlight PA reporter that we spoke to confirmed, spoke to legislators about this, confirmed that the leak is real, that it wasn't just made up by one party or the other. There was... A bipartisan agreement on the need to fix the ceiling. That's something you can build consensus around. Yes, that is actually what the the whole home repairs program. Um, I know that. Yes, yes, the leaking ceiling, the leaking ceiling. Well, maybe it was a a karmic leaking ceiling actually in the end, especially for libraries and community colleges. Well, from leaking ceilings to um, sewer and water rates, what can you tell us about what's going on in Tustin? Yeah, so in Tustin, sewer rates are going up, and that was approved in the last Tustin Town Board meeting. And I think it's important to point out that this is happening in a lot of different towns. Sewer systems that were built maybe 10, 15 years ago are now not in code with stricter New York State sewage um, regulations. And so these towns are kind of scrambling to have to fix their infrastructure. And in order to fix it, they need to find money to fix it. And so we get our sewage rates raised. Um, some residents, especially in commercial um Commercial owners on Main Street um, were feeling like they were being hit um, extremely hard with these raises. But um, in terms of testing, the water rates are going to be based on usage. So hopefully they were telling residents that it will, will even out and it's necessary that they have to fix these infrastructure issues. And unfortunately, the money has to come from somewhere. Right. And uh, I recently got to talk with uh, the head of Sullivan County Division of Planning, Heather Brown, who was mm-hmm. talking about what's at the top of her list for 2024. And one of the top four issues is water, water for communities and water, meaning all of those things that, that you just mentioned, like the, the water and the sewage. Um, and And this is something, as you just said, multiple communities are dealing with now. Yes, yes. And I think that um, like the, the interim water and sewer superintendent of Tustin explained that these regulations, rather than falling potentially on larger companies that cause some of these uh, toxins to be in the water, for it's actually for them to make sure it doesn't get in the water. It's falling on counties to ensure that they have the proper proper infrastructure in order to filter these toxins out. So I think that there's a bit of a, a sticking point there, and um, that's why those regulations have, have been passed, in order to make sure that water is hopefully uh, clean. And so that and that marks a change over how things used to be done. So that's another thing to grapple with. Yep. Okay. And then, well, then finally, um, Sullivan County Legislature, there's going to be new folks in that legislature. And is there going to be a new county attorney? Yeah, to be seen. The Sullivan County Legislature um, 
posted on their Facebook that they're looking for a new county attorney. It's a full-time position that pays from $150,000 to $170,000, and you can apply. Um, there's a link on their Facebook page and on their website. Um, Michael McGuire, who was appointed to the current as the current county attorney by the legislature chair, Robert Dougherty, who is actually moving out of the legislature, said to the River Reporter, and I'll quote it here, quote, I have cherished and enjoyed every moment I have worked for Sullivan County. The county is very fortunate to have some tremendous human assets, and I thank each one of them, including the legislature, for the opportunity to serve in the county I call home. He also noted that I right here, and I quote, I hope to be reappointed to that position by legislatures during their reorganizational meeting in January, end quote. So the new legislature um, has the authority to appoint the new county attorney. So they'll either, they can reappoint uh, Mr. McGuire or fill the position with somebody new and different. So he, he wants to stay in that position. He wants to come back to it. Yes. Yes. He, he pretty openly said that he's, he's, hoping that he will be reappointed. So, okay, so it's up to the legislature. Yeah, the new legislature can appoint him. From what you've seen, what's the likelihood that they will? I'm, I'm not sure. Um, he went by the Republican-led legislature, and now the legislature is Democratic. Um, so there's that, and that might point to him actually not being reappointed, but we'll we'll see if they really have their reorganization. Right, because this is a this is a fairly straightforward story on the surface, but there's a lot of some of the most contentious county politics, specifically surrounding this county attorney position, and that's kind of what's going on behind the scenes. Yes, and I, 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 I'm, I'm I was surprised to see actually that uh, he really wanted to be. Re- I was a little surprised too. That's why I asked you a little bit more about that because I was like, "Oh, really? That's so." Hey, that's why we have you on. It's to bring us news. <laughs> okay. Well, I think that's going to do it for us for this week. But uh, next week, Ruby, we're going to do a full episode of local edition together as we do our year-end wrap-ups with all of our uh, local news partners. And you want to dive in pretty deep on one of the biggest stories of the year, correct? You want to tell folks what that's going to be. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to giving our listeners a in-depth look at our housing coverage that we've done over 2020 and discussing the major components of what's going on with housing on both sides of the river in Pennsylvania and New York. Okay, well, I look forward to that conversation. But for now, I'll say um, have a good night, but also have have a happy Christmas and uh, hopefully uh, happy holidays and happy time off here at some point. Yeah, you too, Jason. Happy holidays. You're listening to The Local Edition, winner of Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. It's time to hang the mistletoe and spike the eggnog. On this week's Retro Cocktail Hour, we'll celebrate the season with songs by Sinatra, Ella Fitzgerald, and the Brian Setzer Orchestra. Plus, Santa does the mambo. You're somewhere you don't know Santa's gonna do the mambo. <coughs> 
I'm Darrell Brogdon. We've got your holiday on ice right here. The Retro Cocktail Hour Christmas Show. Tonight at 7 on Radio Catskill. That is coming up tonight at 7, and we're looking forward to it. You're listening to the local edition. We're keeping you connected. I'm Jason Dole, and uh, you may have heard, you may not have, that Pennsylvania has canceled a planned upgrade to their system for managing voter rolls, leaving local county officials stuck for the foreseeable future of the process and technology that they say is outdated and inefficient. Tim Bruno spoke with Vote Beat PA's Carter Walker about why the Department of State ended its years-long contract with a tech vendor for the upgrade. So in 2019, the state started looking for a company to replace its voter roll management system, which is called the SURE system, because it had been implemented in 2003 and technology has advanced since then and just made the system buggy and uh, outdated for election administrators' needs. So they found that company in 2020, a company called BPRO, and started that project. But as the project went on over the past couple of years, it became clear that the company wasn't going to be able to meet the standards that the uh, contract had set out. Deadlines started being missed, and uh, there was supposed to be a rollout earlier this year, but that didn't happen. So I think when the state saw that this project just was not moving forward as it should have been, they decided, okay, I think we just need to uh, cut our losses here and, and start again from scratch. Did officials comment on exactly why the contract was terminated? They have just said some version of that, uh, you know, the contractual standards weren't being met or the deadlines weren't being hit. Uh, There seems to be some kind of mutual settlement agreement that they would part ways and not say exactly what the disagreement uh, was. Uh, So that's not entirely clear. But, you know, my understanding is basically that from from talking with election administrators and others around the state that basically um, the project was not moving along in the timeline they had set out. And it looked like the product that was going to be produced in the end was not going to meet Pennsylvania's needs. Um, So it just didn't make sense to continue with. You mentioned election administrators using these voter rolls. How do they use them? This is how they prepare for elections. And it's central to their operation. Yeah, this system is pretty much you couldn't run an election without it. Um, It's how election administrators, how counties track who's registered to vote in their county, what party they are. Uh, If they want to receive a mail ballot, it gets tracked through that system. It's how when counties are putting together the poll book that you have to sign when you go into your polling place, counties use this system to create that poll book so that they know when, when you get to the polling place that, okay, you are actually registered to vote here. Here's your ballot. Go ahead. Um, so really, this this system is central. They use it every day, all day. Uh, they really couldn't do their job without it. You spoke to election officials around the state at different counties. What do they say about the system that's currently in place? Yeah, they they have, for a number of years, not been happy with this system because of uh, well, for a few reasons. First of all, being that it just it, it doesn't operate it as you would expect a computer program in 2023 to operate. It freezes. It uh, can just abruptly shut down, which happened one time when I was watching an election administrator use it, and it just crashed on him. Uh, which obviously, you know, when you're on election day and you're trying to answer questions from your poll workers, that can be a problem. And when the state implemented uh, mail-in voting in 2019. You may have heard election directors say it's now like we're running two elections 
well, they're trying to run that those two elections on a system that was only built to handle in-person voting. So putting data into that system for mail ballots, like who's receiving one, what their address is, uh, their party affiliation, uh, and and if it gets canceled, it's it's not really easy for them to use that system to track those things. Uh, They sometimes have to go in manually and check that that data is entering correctly um, just because the system was built in 2003 before we conceived of universal mail-in voting. Um, So it's a struggle for them to deal with. And, uh, of course, their biggest concern is when it crashes close to Election Day and they don't have the information they need. This project was initially scheduled to be wrapped up this year in place for the 2024 presidential election. So how does this impact the 2024 presidential election in Pennsylvania? Yes, it was supposed to be wrapped up this year, uh, but you know, it just became clear as the year went on that that wasn't going to happen. And the contract cancellation, it's a little nuanced here. The contract cancellation itself doesn't represent a change for the 2024 election because the Department of State had already decided earlier in the year when it was clear they weren't going to meet the deadlines that, okay, we're going to stick with the old system for next year. And maybe we'll roll out the new one in 2025. So that's not exactly a change from what was already going to happen. But of course, you know, still using an old system is a problem uh, for next year. But the department's trying to make some upgrades to the infrastructure of the system to hopefully fix some of those problems with it running slow and crashing. Some election officials uh, and departments purchased some new equipment in order to uh, anticipate this new system, but now they're kind of stuck with it? Yes. uh, You know, there are grants through the federal government, I believe under the Help America Vote Act from 2002, uh, that they they were eligible to purchase equipment that they they thought they were going to need to access this new system, like um, people in data or financial services industries might be familiar with UV keys, which are little keys you carry around on your keychain that will give you a unique string of digits every couple of minutes or so to access the system as a secondary security measure. A lot of counties bought those or laptops or other scanning equipment for mail ballots that was supposed to be compatible with the new system we were building. Uh, but yeah, now it's unclear if that equipment will be compatible with whatever contract comes next. So the department says that that is their goal to make sure that that those purchases don't go to waste, but um, that still remains to be seen. Another thing you report in your article is that some of the problems with this effort to overhaul these voter rolls lie with Pennsylvania's archaic voter registration law. Can you talk a little bit about how outdated that law is? Yes. Well, lots of portions of Pennsylvania's election code are uh, very old. We did a story about that a couple of months ago. Some things date back to the 1920s and haven't been updated significantly since then. Uh, But the real problem here is that there's a portion of the code for when voters are transferring from one county to another. Essentially, what the code asks counties to do is cancel their registration in one county and re-register them in a new county. And to do that, they have to reach out to the first county that a voter is moving from and say, hey, please send me their information. They're going to cancel their registration with you and register with me. Um, And that was written at a time when counties were physically storing paper records called voter cards. So they actually needed to get that information from the county and have it mailed over to them. But 
nowadays, all that information is stored in the SHRE system. So it's right in front of every election director in the state. And conceivably, they could just pull it out of the SHRE system in the column for that county and put it into their county. And that's how many other states do it. But the law still has these transfer requirements. um, And putting that into a digital process uh, is a challenge. And I think that's one of the challenges the vendor faced this time around. Is there any indication at the state legislature level that anything's being done to address these these outdated laws? Um, every once in a while, there will be a bill introduced, and there have been some this session that uh, address some of these concerns, but nothing has ever really picked up the legs that election administrators would want to try and uh, you know clean up some of these outdated things. Pennsylvania is such a key state in uh, elections, uh, and especially coming up in 2024, and these counties are, are left coping with challenges that are out of their control. I mean, what are, what are some of the folks saying that you've spoken to at the county level? Yeah, well, uh, county administrators and, and county commissioners, you know, who oversee election as well, uh, I think they're kind of used to this pattern where there's some kind of burden put on them by the legislature or the state. Or, or just, you know, the forces of the universe, and they end up having to cope with it. So uh, they've kind of entered this shrugging of their shoulders, like, well, I guess I guess that's how we have to deal with it now. So we have to get it done, so we're going to get it done. But, of course, it's not easy on them. Yeah, and a lot of uh, eyes on the state and on all of the uh, county officials, uh, especially coming in this new year. Uh, we've been speaking with Carter Walker of Vote Beat. Vote Beat is the nonpartisan uh, website for local reporting on elections and voting. And we're talking about uh, the Pennsylvania Department of State canceling their contract for an upgrade to the state voter role management system. That change won't impact the 2024 election, but there are a lot of things that could be updated in Pennsylvania, it sounds like, Carter. Yes, definitely. All right. Well, I'm sure we'll be talking to you as the year rolls out with this big election year. Carter Walker, Vote Beat. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. And thank you, Tim Bruno. Remember, you can hear Tim every morning at 10, weekday morning at 10 on Radio Chatskill. Finally, on the local edition tonight, Assembly Member Aileen Gunther represent New York's 100th district. She spoke with Patricio Rabio, taking a look back at 2023 and a look ahead to the new year. Last year, I passed 13 bills that passed both in the Senate and the Assembly. I was the prime sponsor. There's one that's for donate life registration. Um, It's really important to so many. Um, There were taxes that Sullivan County wanted me to make sure that I passed relating to orders not to resuscitate those kinds of things, provides information about uh, Medicare Part B, designation by a general hospital of persons to identify infectious diseases. So I did a lot of two-house bills, and I'm waiting for the governor to sign them. She's going little by little, and hopefully mine will be signed. Yes, seems like last year was a very, very busy year for you. And then the other thing is I'm the chair in New York State, in the New York State Assembly on mental hygiene, and we were able to get an increased amount of money to deal with the issue all over the state of New York, which is very important. I'm still chair of mental hygiene and plan to continue to make sure that people have access to care, access to beds, which is very important across New York State. A lot of the mental health beds 
have been closed, but at this point we need beds for children uh, and that we provide for them. It's it really, you have to do observation to make sure the efficacy is there. That's something else I'll be working on, making sure that medical insurances pay the length of stay that is necessary. So this is the current projects you're working on now, heading into the new year? It's ones that I've been working on last year and this year. And in a go-forward motion, we can see that there's an increase in the number of people that are having issues with mental health. And the fact is that the length of stay and the beds sometimes are not available, and especially for children. And I think it's very important. Do you think that mental health was the big issue for 2023 for your office? Uh, um, yes, it was. Yes, it was. We've had parents that called and, with children that need access to like a psychiatrist. They are the, usually the ones that order medications. And the waiting list is tremendous. The access to care is tremendous in our community. You know, a lot of, uh, of families are going to their, taking their children to um, pediatricians. But you know, the therapeutic intervention is so very important. And it's sometimes it's very, takes a very long time to get what you need. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's a real crisis across New York State. It really is. And when they talk about the pandemic, is that what's going on? We're not really sure exactly why there's an exacerbation of kids and adults that are experiencing mental health issues. Looking ahead in 2024, okay, I'm assuming we'll continue to work on it into the new year. Uh, what other yeah, initiatives uh, are you looking ahead? No, I just was on a long conference call about housing, and there's a real housing issue in our community. We're paying $2,100 a month for someone to stay in a hotel uh, and from the county. And right now, we had a very long talk about housing and housing in our community and, and the reimbursement for housing, etc. And there's something that really has to be done. We cannot have children in hotels for months upon months, and we're paying over $2,100 a month to some of these hotels for a one-bedroom or one bedroom and a little tiny kitchen, $2,100 a month. It's ridiculous. It really is ridiculous. I, mean, this, I always hear talk about Sullivan County doesn't have a shelter. Do you think having a shelter in Sullivan County would help alleviate some of the problems that we are having with housing? If there are people that are out in the cold, we do have a place for them to go at this point in time. And Kathy from the Federation is in charge of that. But we need housing. We need affordable housing. And that's the end of the story. And that's what we talked about for about housing of state, reimbursement from the state of New York. And we're working with different, uh, you know, different uh, organizations to see what we can do to invest in housing in our community. And it has to be done. In that conference call that you had, who was in that call? If you, if you could tell us, were they state officials or local officials? Uh, no, it was just, it was actually John Little, myself, and a woman named Elka. And she does a lot of work with uh, housing in the state of New York. So we were working with her. Right. They said housing is a huge need here, and it's like across the board. All New York State has an issue with it, but they said we have here a specific issue with Sullivan County is we are using this well, hotel as well as shelter. The big issue with us also is our reimbursement rates. Okay, Like in the city, they get much more than we do, and it's not working well, so we're going to have to advocate to increase rates for upstate New York. Absolutely. You know, what? one of the things that is interesting is our labor rate is similar to New York City, 
but our housing rate is much lower. Isn't that weird? It is. It's like we have the same labor force. In- yes, our labor force versus, yeah. versus the rates. It's crazy. It's crazy. So we, ha- they ha- we have to look into that and to see if we can change that in any way. Affordable housing is a critical issue. It seems like we are having a lot of development in Sullivan County, but it's not really affordable housing that folks can, can afford right. to move into. The home prices have skyrocketed since the pandemic, and it seems like also rents have Ball suit because of the rising and inflation. Our, our population and population has been increasing in leaps and bounds. Yeah, absolutely. We, we have cold blue and they shelter people if it gets below a certain amount of degrees during the winter time, but that's just not the way to live. And you can't get a job. You can't take a shower unless you have a stable environment. You can't. And what happens is you can't really go to a job. No. It's just terrible. Aileen, anything else that we have not touched on you want folks to know about? Not just that we're still making sure that we need more beds for mental hygiene. That's important. Making sure that we keep beds open for those that have an addiction issue in our community. And just wishing everybody a healthy and happy new year and a nice holiday season. And uh, I'm here if you need me. And I love what I do. And I'll continue working for the people of Sullivan, Orange County. Well, we're talking to Aileen Gunther, assembly member for the 100th district, letting us know what happened this past year and what she is looking forward to the new year. Thank you so much for joining us on the program. Oh, thank you for having me and healthy and happy. Same to you. For Radio Catsco, I'm Patricio Robayo. And thank you, Patricio. Thank you, listener, for listening. This has been the local edition. We're wrapping up the show now, but do keep listening on air. On your smartphone or smart device, just ask it to play Radio Catskill. We're also online at WJFFradio.org. And we're going to continue uh, wrapping up the whole year. All through next week on the local edition, year-end wrap-ups, especially with all of our news partners, talk about the biggest stories of the year that was as we get ready for the new year. Thank you again for listening. Do stay with us. Coming up at 7 o'clock, it is a Retro Cocktail Hours Christmas special annual treat from Daryl Brogdon. But right now, it's time for the daily and the latest news from NPR on Radio Cat.